Are you ready for the first day of the rest of your life? Well, welcome to the first day of the rest of our lives podcast. The pod where Leanne Hello and Michael Govier are always looking forward to tomorrow when the first day of the rest of their lives begins. Today, Danielle Salinger joins Leanne and Michael to talk about a host of very serious topics. You can find Danielle beingrealwithdanielle.com or email Danielle beingrealwithdanielle at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us once again. It's time for a lovely episode. It's our first guest we're having on today on the first day of the rest of our lives podcast. As always, my lovely co-host Leanne is here. Say hello, Leanne. Hello, Leanne. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a very special guest today. This is the first time we had a guest, so I'm very excited to see where Me this too. goes. And she's not just like, because she's our first guest, it's a big deal. She's also very, very mm -hmm. capable, talented, um, experienced, and she fits right into our podcast. I really think this will be a lot of fun and informative in many different ways, and maybe even emotional, who knows? But ladies and gentlemen, can I please introduce, this is Danielle Salinger. Yay. Hi, everybody. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm really honored to be your first guest. This is very cool. We're so excited. Yes, Danielle has <laughs> her own blog. It's called beingrealwithdanielle.com. That's two L's in Danielle, not Daniel. And she <laughs> hasn't updated it lately. So if you go on there, you'll see that it's been a couple of years. But you are planning to update it, right? Absolutely. I'm starting to write again. So I've got a lot of ideas and things I want to say. What yeah, was the you guys make sure that you're reading catch up? You have the time right now to catch up until she starts doing it because there's a lot of really good content in there. Yeah, thank you. That's that's what mm -hmm. I asked is what was the impetus? I mean, you have a lot of great stuff about various mental health issues. And when you initially created it, what was your thought process? And then why did you kind of stop if you can kind of get into that? Yeah, sure. Um, Originally, when I started, uh, well, it took me a while to get the courage to actually start the blog. Um, but initially, a gentleman that I had gone to high school with, um, he died by suicide. And I was really shocked by that. Um, and I was really shocked to find that he had uh, lived with, struggled with depression. Um, and so knowing that I have, you know, for as long as I can remember, struggled with depression, whenever I hear of someone else dying by suicide, it gives me this feeling of why not me? What is it that stops me from going into that place? Um, and so just on Facebook, I started talking a lot, writing a lot about my experiences with depression, how I felt, and um, a lot of people you know, would respond or would private message me of, you know, their own feelings that were either similar um, or just wanted to talk about what their experience was. Um, and so that encouraged me to start talking more about um, and wanting to do it on a larger platform than just something that would go out to my family and friends. So that's how I started it. Um, it hasn't been updated, though, in a couple of years. Uh, a couple of years ago, I got, uh, I was pregnant with my, it was my eighth pregnancy. Um, <laughs> I have one child at home. Uh, we struggled a lot with pregnancy. Um, had 
numerous early miscarriages and two mid-pregnancy miscarriages. Um, so I was very anxious about that pregnancy and just did not have the capacity to write or think about anything else. Um, other than what it was that was going on. Mm -hmm. And then we had a baby at home. <laughs> and a baby at home <laughs> is exhausting. So, um, but we're at a place now where she uh, sleeps through the night. She takes regular naps. And Yay. so I'm in a place where I still have more I want to say and I can start updating. That's awesome. All right. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So Thank you. Those are, there's a lot of topics in there. We're going to get more into all of those. I just want to remind everybody that you can contact us at firstdaypod at protonmail.com. If you have any questions for Danielle, uh, you can contact us so we could forward them. Or do you want to give a, you want to share an email that people can contact you with or? Uh, yeah, actually the uh, being real with Danielle at gmail.com. They can reach me there. Great. Yeah. Anything you hear in this episode, Danielle is very open. I got to know Danielle on Twitter and that was basically through fantasy baseball with her husband, Jason. And I actually found Danielle to be a lot more Justin. interesting than Justin. <laughs> For, no offense <laughs> to Justin, he's great, but you you are hilarious and also insightful. You toe that line really, really almost ideally of humor with depth and honesty about what's going on in your life. And that's what drew me to you. And I, I really wanted to have you on the show because I think you know how to handle the most deepest, darkest, toughest topics in life without letting, um, without a, an, a dishonest bone in your body, I guess is what I mean to say. Well, thank you. I really, I do strive to be as authentic as possible, you know, even to the point of owning up to when I'm being a hypocrite, maybe to something that mm -hmm. I've said before and, and being able to recognize that. Um, and humor is definitely something that's very, very important to me. It's gotten me through all the difficult times. I, uh, my dad was a comedian when I was growing up. So oh, I was no, around really? a lot of comedy. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I was seven years old going into comedy clubs and uh, watching my dad perform. That's so, so cool. <laughs> humor is a big part of my life. Yeah, you, you and Justin use humor ideally. Um, you guys are like this. You're the power couple to me. I mean, forget Beyonce and Jay-Z. I look at you two as <laughs> you're hilarious and you're deadpan honest. And you really, you're honest about family stuff, which some parents lie about. Let's be honest. Let's cut the bull crap. There's a lot of parents yeah. that give you a, a line that, I'm not mm -hmm. a parent. Me and Leanne are, you know, we're together, but we don't have kids. We, mm -hmm. Frankly, we don't plan to have children. That's part of our, our choice. But mm -hmm. people yeah. who, I have a lot of friends who are parents and they just tell me things that are, I know are bullshit, but they just won't tell me the truth about it. So I like that you guys are honest. Yeah, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Having kids is amazing. Although I will, uh, I've openly admitted to this previously, um, I did not plan on having children. It was not oh. a part of my plan. Um, you know, Justin and I got married uh, when I was in my 30s. Um, for him, it was very important. And so uh, I came to the decision that it was more important to me to have him than it was to not have kids. Wow. Um, so, and, you know, funny enough, we had the one kid and then I really wanted another because I didn't want her to be an only child. Um, so I went from being a person that did not plan on having any kids to being a person who spent eight years and multiple miscarriages trying to have another one. Wow. Um, and, and so it's very interesting how that, that moved, but 
as much as, you know, we desperately wanted, you know, our, the second baby that we have, Madison. Um, but she's a punk and I can admit that, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just because she's something that I worked hard for and something that I consider to be a miracle for me in my life doesn't mean that I can't admit that she is a little devil. <laughs> so, and I think a lot of parents kind of avoid doing that of admitting the, the difficult parts of parenthood mm -hmm. of that, you know, I, I want to, I have a closet that is unfinished. It's not built at all. And I have joked around about wanting to create a false wall, even <laughs> if there is just standing room only so that I have a place to hide from the kids. That's not the bathroom. That's awesome. So, <laughs> Uh, Justin, get on that. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I get the tools. Oh, awesome. Love it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. So in a sense, then, you can have a kid and still be honest about the pitfalls of being a parent. And even if it's the most important thing in the world to you, you can still talk about it plainly, the feelings, the struggles, the um the difficulties at time of, you know, kids not going to always listen to you. You have to also when to teach a kid, especially with uh, where we are right now as a society. That's the mm -hmm. best way I could describe yeah. it, I guess. I'm terrible at describing this, but, you know, with Black Lives Matter movement and the whole George Floyd situation, how do you approach these like macro concerns that are also, they end up influencing micro because they, they influence individual people. So how do you handle these situations in terms of when it's time to talk or do you just kind of just dive right in and then give them an immediate reality check or is, or is there a fine line? You know, it is difficult. And I think much like I do with a lot of things that I talk about, I talk about, okay, here's what I do and what I'm comfortable with and what works for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily giving advice on how other people should do it because I don't know what their situation is. Right. You know, for, the way things that we have chosen to handle things with our eldest daughter. I don't know if we're going to do the same with our youngest. Hmm. We'll see. Um, but, you know, so far our eldest is nine and we've had to uh, tackle um, early puberty. Um, hmm. So there's been a lot of, you know, talking about sex and everything. Um, and then in as much as I might want to protect her from things, she sees what's going on. She knows right. about George Floyd. You know, right. we've, we've talked in depth about uh, racism. Um, <laughs> we've talked in depth about sexism. You know, when it came time to, for us to talk to her about uh, puberty and start to have a talk with her about why it would not be okay for her to go topless in public anymore. Mm -hmm. And so rather than just say, hey, this isn't appropriate, you can't do that anymore. I was concerned that that would make her feel ashamed, that there was shame, something shameful about her body, yes. something about her body was inappropriate. And so that wasn't okay anymore. And I wanted to explain to her, that's not how we feel in our household, so you're free to do what you want. Out in public, however, other people feel differently. Um, and then I kind of went into a tangent about puritanical societies and patriarchy and Justin had to reel me back a bit <laughs> <laughs> so that I could stay a little bit more on topic and a little bit appropriate because she was at the time almost eight. So it maybe it was a little bit much. <laughs> and that's kind of sometimes what happens with, you know, talking with a kid where you, you know, maybe go off a little further than you plan to and maybe need to reel it back. But oftentimes 
for my kid at least, she'll come up with questions. We may have a talk and later she'll come back with, well, hey, what about this? Can we go mm -hmm. over this part mm -hmm. again? Um, you know, when it comes to things like what happened with George Floyd, we let her know what happened. We don't go into graphic detail mm -hmm. with anything because she is nine. Mm -hmm. um, but we do let her know of, of what it is that happened to him why it was wrong, um, why people are so upset that this is not just a one-time thing that's happened, that this mm -hmm. is, you know, a, a part of a systematic racism. Mm -hmm. um, we often, much like even with religion, we try to tell her, here's what we believe, and this is the information that we have, mm -hmm. and here's other information that you can find, and you can come to your own conclusion of what it is that you think. Oh, that's awesome. So... And I, I agree, like when you say, you know, maybe sometimes you go a little too much and you need to come back. <laughs> I would actually rather, I, I think, because my parents were the same way. So as a kid, you knew you could ask any of those questions. And so now I would rather that parents were more like you rather than I'm going to shield everything. And then what happens yeah. is these kids feel like Either A, my parents don't know anything, so I'm not going to go and talk to them, so I need to go and talk to my other friends. Um, or B, they think that it, like the shame part is huge. Mm -hmm. So if mom and dad aren't talking about sex, if mom and dad aren't talking about religion, then I better not, but I have all these questions. So yeah. then you go down this Google rabbit hole. Thankfully, we didn't have that when we were a kid, right? Yeah. Yeah, so. Encyclopedia Britannica didn't have that information. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I used to love that. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's, that's amazing to hear. So, and I know that that's not easy because the easy route is for you to say, oh, well, they'll ask when they need to instead of bringing things up. You know. Yeah, and we know that especially with internet, kids have a lot of access to stuff, and so we don't want to wait until she's coming to us. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, a lot of people think that the sex talk is, you know, you wait until the kid is about to have, uh, you know, sex ed in school around fifth grade, and then you sit them down beforehand, and hey, here's what you might hear. Mm -hmm. For us, we started talk really early. Um, even... Uh, for us, sex talks started young because we feel that things like identifying body parts is a part of the sex talk, being able to, you know, name things correctly and what they are, being able to, especially because, you know, a lot of parents have to send their kids to daycare. Mm -hmm. And as much as you vet those daycares, you still, you know, don't always know. And so you right. want your kids to be able to have the correct language and be able to come back to you and tell you if there's anything inappropriate or that they're uncomfortable with. Um, I was sexually abused as a child, uh, starting at the time that I was three years old. And so for me, it was very important to do as much as I could to protect myself. And so giving her language, giving her tools, letting her know, and then going up to where we are now. Um, it's a different time than when I was young and things are being talked about. So we talk a lot about, you know, I don't say things like, well, someday when you, you know, find a boy that you like and you get married and have kids, yeah. I don't do that because for me, it may not necessarily be a boy. Mm -hmm. She may not want to get married and mm -hmm. she may not want to have kids. Right. So I'm not going to automatically starting from a young age, project those things onto her where she feels that she has something that she has to live up to in any way. Um, so we try to do that. You know, we've talked about uh, transsexual, 
Um, and I've, I've told her, I don't really know a lot, but here, let's go to some resources that are good where we can learn more and I can learn with you. Um, we've talked about, you know, she asked once about, well, how did two boys have sex? And so again, without going into deep detail, I told her, Mm-hmm. Here are the variations and different things that can be done because I don't want her to think that sex is anything shameful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even it's, you know, occasionally joked about where she'll want to spend the night in our bed and we say, no, no, it's, it's our time. She goes, ew, you guys can have sex. <laughs> and we say, maybe. <laughs> that's, that's up to us. You have to get out of the room now. So even that, we don't try to hide that we are married and in a loving relationship and we at times are going to have sex and there's nothing wrong with that. Wow, that's amazing. That's, that's so a, good. That's incredible. You're already so far ahead of the game. I, I, need, I think you really deserve to get a lot of credit for this. And I'm not here to blow smoke yes. up your ass. I'm just telling you, you know, coming from a divorced home, my parents got divorced when I was five and it creates total chaos. They also yep. bitterly resented each other. And it was a nasty custody battle. And he said, she said, you go somewhere one weekend, they say one thing, you go back home. Then that person says another, and you're a child, you're, you know, when I was yeah. your daughter's age, I was already in therapy because I didn't know what the hell was going on and trying to make sense of it all. That you guys deserve a lot of credit just mm-hmm. for being together. <laughs> Seriously, Absolutely. that's not that it took like a well, it does take effort to maintain a marriage, but it doesn't just it does. happen. Yeah, right. So that it's, is huge. It's yeah. something that you have to consistently and constantly choose to keep doing. You know, the, Justin and I have been through uh, plenty of really difficult um, moments, longer than moments. We've been through difficult days, weeks, months where, you know, um, we don't like each other. We've, we've been through moments where we didn't love each other very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we've continued to make the decision to keep working and to stay together. I come from, my parents were divorced by the time I was one um, and very contentious. I mean, it's only in, they're almost 70 now. And it's only in the last few years that they can be civil and be around each other. Mm-hmm. Um, before then, it was it was very uh, difficult to have them in the same room. And they, you know, I, I probably should have been in therapy when I was younger. Unfortunately, it didn't happen until I was uh, uh, preteen, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of things that they did that definitely were harmful. And they didn't, you know, they didn't realize, they didn't see that or know that. They were too wrapped up in their stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, there's, you get older, you get this age now, and I don't bl- blame them. I mean, my mom raised three boys by herself because, you know, we only saw my dad every other weekend. And, you know, mm-hmm. he was also trying to figure his life out. She's trying to figure, you're trying to figure out and live your life while you've created these three beings. Yeah. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't give them enough credit actually they probably deserve a little more credit than i give them because for many years i i'm like oh man you guys really screwed me up and, and actually that is yeah. true because i still try to come to terms with my uh my lack of belief in myself because everything was always doubted mm-hmm. the worry and the doubt throughout the entire existence created who i was and it really led to my certainly it probably led to my addiction you know i was addicted to pain pills for seven years six years over the last basically my most of my 30s I'm 39 now and I've been clean mm-hmm. for two and a half years now so I'm grateful for that but that's awesome that, yeah mm-hmm. that is awesome that's why I mean your husband I, I really respect him I connect with him on that level I also mm-hmm. think that parents have a lot more power sometimes than they realize and I think it's very important that they understand 
the big picture. You can get caught up in the day-to-day, especially if yeah. you were a working mother that had to be gone all day long and send your kids to daycare. So many things yeah. to get lost in the shuffle. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. You know, I, with my parents, it is that double-edged sword that I still, I do, I have a lot of resentments towards them for a lot mm. of the things that happen. You know, um, my, my dad, oh, he, he hated my mom. He did. He absolutely hated my mom. And he would talk about what a terrible person she was. Um, he would cuss a lot, um, you know, use a, a lot of swear words when referring to her. Um, and I would get upset. It would be hurtful to me because I loved my mom. Mm-hmm. And so I would go home and I would be very distraught after a weekend visiting with my dad. And I would tell my mom what happened. And of course, my mom would get upset. She'd yeah. call my dad. There'd be a big fight between them. And then the next time my dad would pick me up, he would yell at me for having snitched and told my mom. And then, you know, he'd say things like, well, you're just like your mom. Well, when all I hear is how horrible she is, and then I'm told that I'm just like her, it has a huge impact on my, you know, how I see myself and my self-esteem. Absolutely. For me, I said how, you know, I didn't really plan on having kids. A lot of that stemmed from, um, you know, the neglect and abuse that I had with my parents. And for me, I felt like I am not equipped to be a good parent. It is too important of a thing to mess up. And so I don't want to do what they did to me. I was too afraid that I would fall into those habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it took a lot of convincing, you know, of Justin reassuring me that this was, you know, it would be different because I'm not my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be different because we would be doing it together. Um, and I'm very glad that I did. A lot of um, the barriers that I had to being comfortable with being a parent, I actually didn't really face until I had my first child. Um, and there were a lot of things where I realized there is no way that I can teach her that it's okay to make mistakes and that she can forgive herself and let those go. And that it's all just a part of growing and learning. I can't teach her that if I can't show her that. So I'm going to have to learn how to forgive myself when I make mistakes or when I mess up on something. And so in doing that, and it's a, it's a process. It's not like I just had that realization and all of a sudden, you know, I totally am great at forgiving myself for everything. (laughs) No, it's, but it's a, I have this constant little reminder next to me that that's what I need to emulate for her. Yeah. Beautiful. Now did Justin, did he come from a divorced family? So no, but only because his parents weren't married. Oh, um, okay. So, um, yeah, Justin, it's it's interesting. So he was really uh, primarily raised by his mom okay. um, for about the first nine, ten years, I believe, of his life. Okay. Um, and then uh, his dad didn't really come into the picture until his mom was dying. Oh, wow. Um, and then his dad was there. Um, but even with that, Justin and his brother uh, attended boarding schools. And so after his mom died, Justin hopped around a bit. Uh, between his father and then his grandfather and boarding schools. Um, But Justin, you know, part of his story is that he really struggled in the aftermath of his mom's death. He got involved in a lot of drinking, drugs, um, Mm -hmm. gangs. He was in the uh, Washington, D.C. area. 
So um, he made a decision that he wanted to have, um, you know, more of a family life and change things around. And so when his mom's cousins offered him to come out to California to live with them, he jumped at the chance. And so he wow. left his twin brother behind on the East Coast and he came out here and, and kind of turned things around for him. Wow. Oh. Yeah. I, I want to ask you a question about... Yeah. So s- sexual abuse, you said you're a survivor of that. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, sexual abuse and physical abuse, they're like the big two. They always, not to try to divide them all, but they are the ones that are very obvious. You can see what they mm-hmm. are if, you, if it's identified, right? But with yeah. the third one, with neglect, neglect can be masked. It can be confusing for a person who was neglected to understand that they suffered neglect because it's not, sure. it's not as identifiable as a, a slap to the face or you know, being touched inappropriately by a relative or somebody who's a trusted individual. You know what I mean? I wonder how you feel about that. There's not a physical mark always with neglect. I mean, right. you can have the extremes of neglect where it's uh, malnourishment or it's um, you know, not having the basics of a, a safe and secure house, food, clothing, you know, those are forms of, of neglect. Um, and then there's also a physical neglect of not being there Yeah. Um, for, you know, uh, your child or for a person. Um, and there's emotional neglect of, um, you know, not being there to support and help guide your child. You know, being a kid, mm-hmm. things are confusing. Mm-hmm. And if you're not there to help guide them through those confusing parts, um, it's going to make things a lot more difficult. Um, I don't know. Have you guys ever heard of ACEs? It's a a series of questions Mm -mm. um, where it looks at, you know, in your childhood. So before the age of 18, some of the experiences that you might have. And in there is things like neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, you know, witnessing abuse. So even if you just witness some, uh, you know, a trusted adult abusing another person. So say mm-hmm. your father abusing your mom or your mom abusing your dad. Um, and, and then it just has this whole list. And then it talks about that depending on how many you answer yes to, you have a score and it kind of identifies the likelihood that you'll struggle with addiction, that you'll struggle mm-hmm. with anxiety, depression, suicide. Um, and so it's very interesting because in being able to identify those things, you know, for me, for a long time in therapy, it was always about, okay, well, let's pinpoint what it was that caused my depression. Let's pinpoint what it was that caused my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of stuff in my background that contributed. I couldn't ever pinpoint one thing. Mm-hmm. And eventually, and it wasn't until maybe the last five years where I kind of had this realization that the anxiety and the depression is just a part of me. Um, but the experiences that I went through are what kind of flipped the switch, mm. like turning on a light and exacerbated what was already there. So if I had had stability, if I had had emotional support, if I had not been abused, um, you know, all of those things, maybe I would have learned the tools to better deal with what eventually might have come up anyways, being the anxiety and depression, you know, as I got older. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
it, it's interesting if you look at those scores and stuff and, and realize because there's a lot of blame that happens mm. and there's a lot of shame with having, you know, any sort of whether it's addiction or, or mental health issues. For me, at least, there was a lot of shame in it. And so being able to go, well, you know what, this is just how it was always going to be rather than focus on laying any blame. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on what to do about it. Amen. Mm-hmm. Did the abuse, was it repressed for you? Did you rediscover it at a later point? Was it always something that was on your mind? And Because if there's anybody out there who has tried to come to terms with this type of thing, I'm curious if that was what you were able to do or if it's still something you battle right now. It never truly is like resolved, right? Or no? Um, you know, okay. So it wasn't, I wouldn't say that it was ever repressed. But there have definitely been times where um, I once, when I was uh, 20, I think, I was in an airport waiting for a plane, and all of a sudden a memory. Um, because for me, the abuse uh, lasted until I was about 9 or 10. So mm-hmm. it was for multiple years. Um, and so I had a memory all of a sudden when I was in an airport of something that had happened. Um and it was weird to be alone and all of a sudden have this, especially because I thought I had remembered everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very strange to have that suddenly uh, come up. And at that point, I had done years of therapy. Um, so it wasn't as if it wasn't something that I had, you know, tried to deal with and face. So it's a um, memory. It, that's a memory that you hadn't had before. Yeah, no, it just, it all of a sudden just had popped wow. up into my head. And, you know, I think even though when... Um, So when it came out that I was being, well, at the time that I finally told anybody, it had already stopped. Um, I had already stopped it. I had already said, I'm not, I I don't want to, Mm. Um, which I had had a really hard time with saying, you know, a lot of the stuff with how I grew up with my parents, it was, I wanted people to love me. I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to not be mad at me, you know, not hate me. Mm. Um, And so I allowed things to be done that... I did not like um, mm-hmm. because of that. So it had stopped though. And by the time it actually came out and my parents found out about it, um, you know, I, I was put into therapy and stuff, but I was so young then that I didn't even have a language for things to have the words to describe how I was feeling or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, I can remember talking to a therapist and telling her, sometimes I feel like a dark cloud just comes in and makes everything really murky and it's dark and I just am very upset and don't feel good about things. And then it just goes away and then I feel normal again as mm-hmm. if the cloud has been lifted and things aren't murky anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, looking back, I was describing to her that I was having a depressive episode. but I didn't know that. And so I couldn't tell her, Hey, I'm feeling depressed right now. And here's why Mm -hmm. all I could talk about with this murky cloud that came in. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, uh, you know, there was that moment, but even though I've had lots of therapy, I've dealt with uh, a lot of things, um, you know, even just, in the last several years, there's still been stuff, you know, even in my 20s when I became, you know, there's being in high school and being sexually active, 
mm-hmm. then there's being out of high school and being sexually active. And it was, you know, very different for me. There was my sweet high school boyfriend that I had, you know, and then there was <laughs> dating and exploring the world. Um, yeah. And even with that, all of a sudden there were issues that came up that became problematic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, um, you know, even issues later, like I said, in the last several years where I've had realizations of, wow, so this is actually still impacting me all these years later. Even though I've, you know, I've done the therapy, even though I've talked about it a lot, there's a lot of um, how I view sex, how I engage in sex, how I feel about myself as a sexual being, Mm -hmm. uh, what I think my partner's expectations are uh, are for me regarding sex. All of that was really very much influenced by what happened to me when I was younger. Yeah. Um, you know, I always felt like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Um, and so I need to hide that so that nobody knows. A lot of shame. Yes, a lot of shame. You know, there's a lot of, you know, you always hear the jokes, guys joking about, oh, she was just a dead fish. You Mm. know, she, she wasn't, you know, and, and, and other things, uh, you know, there's this, uh, perpetuated idea that, uh, women should be able to have an orgasm, you know, just by having their arm caressed, that it just happens like that, that you know, uh, you know, give a woman a sexy look like from, uh, you know, Jason Momoa, and that's it, they're aroused enough to enjoy sex, and, and you know, and all those things aren't true, but mm-hmm. when I was younger, I believed that they were, and then I believed that because of what had happened to me, that had messed something up, and I didn't want anybody to find that out, and so I hid things a lot. And it really was a disservice to the partners that I had that I couldn't be more open and honest with them. Did that change with Justin? Were you able to be more open and discuss things with Justin? It did, but it took time. Mm -hmm. It took time even with him where I had to kind of sit down with him and have a talk where it built up to a point where um, I, I just couldn't hide it anymore Mm -hmm. because it wasn't making me happy the way that I had been going. And because I started reading more, you know, it's one of those things where when you think you're broken, Mm -hmm. you don't want to read about how broken you are and Mm -hmm. all the things that you're missing out on because you're broken. And Mm -hmm. so you don't really look into it that much. I'm, I made this ridiculous assumption at the age of 15 that because I couldn't have an orgasm with my boyfriend, that that was because I had been sexually assaulted when I was younger and it was never going to work. And I just gave Uh, up on figuring anything else out. mm -hmm. Wow. And so, you know, and it took a while to go, okay, wait, I need to explore this a little bit more. I need to rethink this a little bit more and start to really look into things and start to explore things and go, Oh, that was way too young to make that kind of decision. Um, And and in that, then start to, okay, I was absolutely wrong. Let's wipe that clean and start fresh and rebuild. Well, there are also women who talk themselves out of that something happened to them. You know, that it's at a younger age, uh, you know, like post, even if it's a teenager, 15, 16, up to 20, 21, uh, you know, obviously date rape is a term where someone mm-hmm. went out with somebody and they they felt like something had happened to them, but it wasn't clear necessarily. And how to manage that, how to come to terms with that, Not because bl- a lot of women blame themselves. I've heard the stories from them personally, you know? 
Yeah. That's, that's such a disappointment because it's not their fault, but still it does mm-hmm. happen. So how to cope with that is, that's something I've always wondered how a woman is able to cope with that. I don't know. It takes a lot of, you know, because I know that I put myself in situations where um, I was not an enthusiastically willing partner. Mm. Um, but, you know, the trying to do the placating, no, no, I don't think so. I don't really want to. And then the pushing and the persisting and, you know, having self-esteem issues like I have of finally going, oh, fine, you know, just get it over with. And then we can be past this part and I don't have to deal with you anymore. And then we can, you know, I, I can move on. And um, I know that back when I was younger, I considered, well, I did that to myself. I, I wasn't forceful enough. Um, I There are other mm-hmm. choices I could have made to get myself out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I, I did that to myself. I only have myself to blame. And that's how I felt back then. Um, I'm, you know, I look back now and, well, also he could have just heard the no. Right. Not persisted and not right. wanted to talk me into it. I mean, you know, I talked about how so many things have changed, you know, the old joke back when I first started going out to bars, you know, oh, get enough alcohol on a girl and, you know, you got a better chance. Mm-hmm. I don't hear people saying that anymore. Well, actually, we just, I just signed a petition in Canada that apparently in Canada, um, being intoxicated is a, how did they word it? Basically, if you're intoxicated, then that's a defense defense for rape. So in Canada, which blew my mind, 2020. So anyway, so that's going on. Someone who's been accused can use that against the uh, accuser. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't. It doesn't make sense to me Mm-mm. because if, you know, if alcohol and inebriation, you know, can have an impact on your ability to drive a car, your ability to, you know, mm-hmm. use, right. you know, a forklift. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if you right. can't do those kinds of things, you cannot give consent. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't understand how that's not clear to people. Yeah. So, you know, anything regarding, I think at least, anything regarding sex, sexuality, um, you know, sexual abuse, um, whether that's, you know, when somebody is younger or through, you know, assault, date rape, all those things. There's so many murky emotional areas that, you know, have to be navigated. And then when you have, you know, legal stuff on top of that, it's mind boggling to me. I think it's incredible how open you are about your sexual, <laughs> not prowess, uh, your sexual, uh, <laughs> just your sexuality in general. I mean, despite everything, yeah. you've, you've done a wonderful job of at least being able to come to terms, at least outwardly, uh, talking about sex and being honest about sex. I think it's very important that you do that with kids, uh, even though I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a parent. That doesn't mean I'm a moron <laughs> who can't understand what it's like to dole out that information to a child. I, I, I have a lot of respect for you guys in that department. So kudos mm-hmm. to you. I do want to remind everybody that you can go to Danielle's blog, beingrealwithdanielle.com, okay? And you can email her, beingrealwithdanielle at gmail.com. She's 
willing to take your questions. When she'll get back to them, who knows, because she is a very busy woman, <laughs> but she will. I have confidence she will. And she's, as, as you've said, you are incredibly open and willing to talk. You've also mentioned suicide. Now, mm-hmm. suicide, we talked about this a little bit in the grief episode we did uh, several weeks back. And one of the interesting terms I learned was disenfranchised grief where you, mm-hmm. and it has a lot to do with suicide. I hadn't really heard of that term, put it that way, but I know the feeling where, and it also has a lot to do with addiction deaths. People dismiss them. People aren't allowed to mm-hmm. feel bad for people because again, of this moralism, uh, even that puritanical thought like, well, the willpower wasn't there. You know, they did it to themselves, which is complete oh, yeah. horseshit. And I think suicide gets the same rap. I, I do see a connection between addiction, overdose deaths and suicide. And I wonder, how do we, how, do, how can we cope better? How can we be more open about talking about suicide? Where does the, where does the conversation begin? Um, you know, I know that for me myself, I've even changed my views, even with all I've been through. Um, you know, I know that years ago, um, where I would hear about or know of someone who died by suicide um, and think, oh, what a horribly selfish thing to do. Yeah, they were assholes uh, even. I've heard that. I remember hearing mm, that when I was younger. Yeah, <laughs> they were only thinking of themselves, um, you know. And now before even with my own issues, that had changed um, a lot because I started talking more with people and started reading more pieces by people talking about their own struggles with thoughts of suicide or even attempts to suicide. Um, and, and so my views changed. But my views changed especially um, when I had my own experience. And this was um, after the uh, death of our son, Lincoln. Um, It was the second child that we had lost. Um, And I was really struggling. Um, I was very depressed. I was really struggling. Um, I was having a hard time getting out of bed. Mm. I just, you know, I would uh, stay up late with, you know, thinking of all the, what if we had done this instead? And, uh, you know, the different things that could have happened. Um, I was really just crushed under the weight of that. Um, And so then when morning time would come, you know, I would try to make sure I went through the motions, getting my daughter off to school, doing all those kinds of things. Um, But I I struggled with it. Um, You know, weekends would come and I would really struggle with getting out of bed. And, oh, just come hang out with mom here in the bed. Um, and you know, I was angry. I would sometimes lash out at Justin and, you know, then I felt bad. I felt bad about the extra burden of parenting that he was having to take on because I just was not able to do it. And those thoughts just started to brew more and more till it got to the point where I felt, you know, I'm such a burden to them. You know, my daughter is, is having to see her mom laying in bed and what kind of impact is that going to have on her, mm-hmm. um, you know, of, of, of having to deal with a mentally ill mom, you know, how much worse is this going to get? Poor Justin having to deal with this. And all of a sudden that kernel of thought, you know, began of, they'd really be much better without me. Mm-hmm. How much easier would things be for them if I wasn't here burdening them with all of this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before that, I had had suicidal ideations of just thoughts of, oh, I don't want to be dealing with this anymore. I don't want to be feeling this 
anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but this was the first time where I had really had that thought of this would be better. And so it, it really, it wasn't me thinking of myself and how I was feeling. It was me thinking of them and what I was doing to the people that I cared the most about, that I didn't want them suffering for something that I didn't have control of at that time. Mm -hmm. um, luckily enough, though, I have a really great therapist and I have a really great husband and I have really great friends. Um, and so for me, um, you know, the monster gets bigger when you try to hide it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but did you reach so, out or did they reach out to you? See, it's great to have all those support network parts, but if uh -huh. you don't reach out, they don't mean anything. So immediately I told Justin, all right, here's the thoughts that are going through my head. Here's what I'm feeling. Um, and then right after I told Justin, I talked to my therapist. Mm -hmm. So I immediately did that. Um, you know, because that, if I try to, the monster will feed on the shame that I have. So if I try to hide it, that's just contributing to the shame and it's just going to get bigger and it's going to get out of control for me. I know that that's how it is for me. Mm -hmm. It may not be like that for other people, but for me it is. And so I need to be able to say it out loud. Um, you know, um, and I, I needed to be able to tell my therapist. Um, and when you had the ideation before you mm -hmm. had the, when you thought I have these suicidal thoughts, but mm -hmm. I will never do that because I can never do that to my family. When you were in that part, yeah. were you talking about it to anybody? Yes. Oh, you were. Okay. Oh yeah. So I've, um, I've always been able to talk to Justin about it. So I've okay. always been very open with him about it. So, and then I've been open with my therapist about it. Um, and then same thing with, uh, some friends. Mm -hmm. So even, right. um, this happened, it was a, a, several months after, uh, Lincoln had died. Um, but just a couple of months after we had lost Lincoln, um, Justin and Kennedy were going on a family vacation. I couldn't go because I had taken off so much time um, after we lost okay. Lincoln and I had gone back to work, so I couldn't go with them. Mm -hmm. um, and it was this, I always tend to put myself last. And so- That um, sounds familiar, was, Leanne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I started to have suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, and my concern was that Justin and our daughter would leave my brother lives with us. He was also leaving. Oh. And my concern was that I was going to be at home alone mm -hmm. and I was going to find myself with an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And wow. so because of that, I struggled with, I don't want to ruin this vacation for them. Ken, you know, our daughter was looking forward to it and, and Justin was looking forward to it in the family. And so I didn't want to ruin it for them. Mm -hmm. But I also thought, well, if I don't tell Justin this time when I have every other time that's a bit of betraying the trust that we've built regarding this yeah um and how terrible would he feel um yeah. so so I told him and with telling him I told him and then again I told my therapist and this time I decided to be a lot more proactive about it so um uh my friend the one who it was her husband uh, who had died by suicide that kind of started everything for me for um, talking okay. out loud. These were two individuals I went to high school with and I had talked to her shortly after his death and she asked if I had a suicide prevention plan. And at the time I said, Oh no, you know, I'll look into that sometime. 
So this time I did, I looked into it. And so I created what for myself was my suicide prevention plan. So that included talking to Justin every day while they were gone. Um, it included no drinking alcohol while they were gone so that mm -hmm. I did not, um, you know, I figured that that was just a bad idea. Mm -hmm. I made plans with friends so that I had something to look forward to while they were gone, something that I normally wouldn't be able to do while my family was around because I don't really have time for going out. Mm -hmm. um, so making plans with friends, and those are all well and good and you know pretty happy, but I also made plans to call a friend if I needed to. Um, in my plan is also calling my therapist. Um, and then the final step of my plan was taking myself to the hospital to turn myself in if I felt I needed. I have chills. This is amazing. Oh, that is a big step wow. because as someone who's been locked up in psychiatric units against their will, it's not fun, but nope. it is a necessary step. That's, I'm very yes. impressed that you were able to put that all together. Um, that is a detailed plan. And I don't think, you know, when I was at my lowest point, the only time I ever really got there was, it was last year, it was early 2019. And I was living in Philadelphia. And the place I lived in was super depressing. And it seemed like everything had kind of just fallen into a spot where you know what, the party's over. I've, I've given this world the best shot I have. Look at what I'm doing. All I am is a slobbin, gross human being who eats like a pig. It's the only thing that brings me joy and everything else is joyless and I might be time for me to wrap it up. But then, you know, I started talking to Leanne on the phone and we hadn't been talking much, but she helped me. And so your, your I'm story. Very glad. My, yes. So me too. <laughs> me too. Yes. <laughs> me uh, too. Your story and mine has a similar thread in that the reaching out, I didn't have a detailed plan like you did. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I think we should all try to look more into that because anybody could make one. You just gave the layout for it, a blueprint, but I, the very essence of this is reaching out and connection. What mm -hmm. prevents a lot of people from committing the act is that support, that one yeah. connection with one singular person or a family member, anybody. And that's, whew, I think that's okay. so important. I have the suicide prevention hotline is one of my favorites on my phone. So they are right there. So, awesome. you know, yeah. it's underneath my, my, you know, my husband and my brother and stuff like that, my parents, I think my parents are on there. They might not be. <laughs> so my, <laughs> the suicide prevention hotline um, is there. Awesome. Um, you know, in my blog, I tried to, I actually took some of the pieces that I wrote on Facebook and put them on the blog um, where I tried to give resources that are out there. Um, <laughs> I did a whole week where I did blog posts and I did, it was, you know, my five to stay alive. And it was, you know, some of the resources that I have, some of the inspirational stuff, some of my experiences where, um, you know, I really tried to lay bare some of the stuff that I'm super embarrassed about. Like when I get really, when I get very depressed, I don't brush my hair. Mm. I wrap it up in a bun to keep it up and out of the way. Mm -hmm. And eventually it turns into these horrific knots that I then have to brush out. And, and it's all this, you know, shame cycle for me. I tried to put all that on the blog of really here's everything of me being honest about yeah. it. Um, you know, there's, there's two things that I thought about Michael while you were talking. Um, I may not be able to prevent either of my children from struggling with depression and anxiety. I am hopeful that we are creating a stable household for them and a household of open communication 
or we can talk about these things, but it doesn't mean it won't still come up for them. Same thing goes, Justin is concerned that they may struggle with addiction issues mm -hmm. because these are our genetics. You're welcome, kids. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. But my hope is that he and I have done the work that we can pass on tools to them yes. and language to them so that they won't struggle as much they won't suffer as much they'll know where to go and what to do mm -hmm. um that's my hope and you know one of the things that i try to tell my daughter and in telling her i try to tell myself mm -hmm. is uh i remind her of when we took her to disneyland and it was great it was very exciting it was this big amazing thing but you know what then we had to go home and it was back to regular life and this is what happens really great exciting happy wonderful moments happen for us but you know what those happy moments don't last because then we go into regular life and it's the same thing with the bad moments they don't last yeah they're all temporary everything we go through is temporary what makes up our life is just the way all of those blend together and so that's what i try to remember even when i'm struggling even when i mean you know I have, I've been through a lot of really crappy stuff. Um, but I try to remember that there's just as much really awesome things that, you know, I, I've also been through. Um, and I will get through the bad again. Mm -hmm. You know, I, uh, I have had, there's a, a saying and I'm probably going to mess it up, but mm -hmm. I have a 100% success rate of getting through the bad stuff in my life. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have, you got to have the <laughs> thickest skin around by now. You have been yeah. through a lot of things and that's, you know, I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> what you said reminded me of an old Dennis Leary. I know Dennis Leary's, I'm really dating myself of how old I am, but back oh, when Dennis Leary on. was a, I'm right there. No cure for <laughs> cancer was a big deal back in the day. And he, I'm uh, older than you, so it's fine. I remember. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> but he said something about these, those little moments, you know, like it's, it's having sex. It's the quick orgasm. It's the cigarette you smoke after that. It's the eating a cookie, <laughs> go to bed, all those little moments. That's all you get sometimes. And you have to cherish those and move on. And mm -hmm. same goes, Absolutely. I'm glad that you said with the antithesis of that, with the, the bad times, I, I thought the bad times would last forever. When I was in that dark place, I really thought everyone else's life I knew was it seemed like they were all killing it and everybody was having grand new opportunities. Cause when you get to that late thirties point, you know, professionally, it's where a lot of people start to really kind of thrive generally. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it seems like everybody was, you know, Oh, look, I got this raise. Oh, I got this new opportunity. Oh, Hey, here's our kid. Hey, we got married and nothing was happening in my life. I would Uber overnight from like 9 PM to 5 AM. And I was on methadone. All I had was methadone and food. And I thought that this was the end. I really did but they didn't last because look where we are yeah. now. There's a lot of good times. There's still some bad times here, but now sure. there's a lot of positive times. This experience in itself is mm -hmm. a positive, useful yeah. experience that I never would have had if I didn't just start doing things and seeing mm -hmm. what happens. There's a lot of stuff that I, mean, I talked about this. I get nervous and anxious all the time about things, but I try to at the same time 
force myself to a certain point to go and do things anyways, Mm -hmm. to to jump in anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, sometimes it it won't work out where I'll go, oh, I really wish I didn't do that. All right, (laughs) try it anyways. But more often than not, it's, you know, oh, that was fantastic. I'm so glad that I went ahead and and did that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And so, you know, people don't know that I used to be really shy. I did not like talking to people. Really? So, yeah, I had to force myself to. I started with uh, talking to the checkers at the grocery store. <laughs> just, just simple stuff of, hi, how are you? Yeah. And then responding when they responded. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 I tried to train myself to do that. That's brilliant. <laughs> you really do have to do that. Yeah. Because it was, it was nerve wracking. I'm one of those people, I joke around about this. I'm one of those people that I don't know what to do with my hands. Like I'm really preoccupied a lot of times of where yes. should I, what do yes, I do? This is so awkward. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> super awkward. But yeah. I've you know, it's that uh, lean into it. Like, mm-hmm. ah, that's super awkward. That's just the way it is. Yeah. But you know what you're really good at too is vocalizing everything that you think like, well, I don't know if it's everything that you're thinking, but like when we <laughs> talked about even just this episode and we were like, okay, so do you have a theme in mind? Do you have something like, or do you want to just do a conversation today? You were very open about, I'm going, I will tell you that my wheelhouse is I would like to have a theme because that'll make me a little bit more comfortable, but I am open to getting outside of my, my kind of comfort zone and yeah. And then of course, Mike's like, okay, you're getting out of your comfort zone. We're going to, this is what we're going to do. But you did, you did, you did a, but you did amazing in that instead of what you could have said is I need a theme because that will keep me from being anxious. And then Mm -hmm. that would have forced this whole situation to be inside of where you're comfortable. And I don't know that it would have been nearly as good as I feel like this. I can't wait to listen to again because I'm going to hear it differently than when you're in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but saying, hey, guys, like this is where I will not be comfortable, but I'm willing to do it. And just putting that little caveat in there changed everything because I'm like, okay, she's willing. Let's just have a conversation. And it was amazing. So I think trying to put these barriers on this is where I will be comfortable. This is where I feel like. I will not have anxiety. I will not have nervousness, which in reality, you probably would have had it anyway, even if we would have put some sort of framework around it. Yeah. So, you know, beautiful. For me, I, well, a couple of things. I would be, I mean, I I said this before, I'd be anxious anyways. Mm -hmm. It's just anxious is my default. Um, I told you, me too. I've been doing this with Mike for how long? And every time I get nervous going into it. And there are just, there are things in my life, you know, I have people who talk about, well, you know, I worry about bringing up your sons because I don't want to make you sad. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm, I'm sad over them anyways. That's never going to stop. That's never going to go away from me. That right. just is. And it's just a part of me now. And I've learned that. Mm-hmm. Anxiety, same thing. It's just a part of me. Yeah. So there's no use in avoiding it or trying to hide from it because it is, it's just going to be there. Yeah. Um, you know, for me... I am not a very adventurous person, at least in terms of going and doing things like, you know, you're not going to find me trying to climb a big mountain. I'll go hiking. (laughs) 
but I'm not doing anything that I need to bring gear with other than my shoes and a bottle of water. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm not adventurous in that way. You know, uh, my daughter and my uh, brother, they really want to fly up into space. No, thank you. I don't want to do that. Um, I don't want to go scuba diving. Um, I, there's just a lot of things that I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I am uh, sometimes an emotionally adventurous person where I'm willing to do these things that will bring up a lot of emotions mm-hmm. um, and kind of go ahead and go through them anyways. For mm-hmm. me, at least in an effort to maybe have others identify with it. Yes. And yeah, I so, think those are more rare. The emotional adventurous yes. are rare. They're more unique than the uh, <laughs> spelunker and whatever, you know, yeah. they really are. So you're, you're rare. Cause I'm with you there too. I completely agree. I love taking it a chance on people. a new emotion. Yeah. It's like, yeah, wh- who knows where this will lead. And then I can grow from the experience or learn something about someone else or something I didn't even know about it. It could be totally unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, you know, like uh, at the time that Justin and I, just before we got married, you know, I had a hard time when I turned 30 of what have I done with my life? I'm not married. I don't have any kids. I, uh, I what do I have to show for? I don't have a, an amazing career that I'm so premature. About. So premature. Yeah, what I do I have now? to show for it? Right. And so, uh, you know, for me, because there was this thought when I was younger and, you know, like a kid of I, I had such feelings of low self-esteem and low Mm self-worth and I wanted to counter that by becoming someone amazing doing something spectacular Mm -hmm. um you know I've even talked about I wanted to be an author when I was younger and I wanted to write well I've had to reconfigure what that looks like so uh I used to think that being a writer meant writing you know a great novel And, you know, doing, you know, going to bookstores and doing signings and uh, all those things. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't. I have a blog. Mm -hmm. I'm behind on writing on it, but Mm -hmm. I have a blog and I write on it. And I think that I'm a good writer and I think that I touch people with what I've written. So I am a writer. Yes. Um, You know, when it comes to doing something great in my life, Mm -hmm. I have helped people who have struggled with pregnancy loss Mm -hmm. or with depression or with suicidal thoughts Mm -hmm. and I've helped them either find resources or I've been someone who will listen to them Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm trying really hard to raise really good people and hopefully they will go out into the world and they will make some sort of tremendous difference and Mm -hmm. I'll have been a small part in that and I think that is pretty spectacular. Yeah it's Absolutely amazing. And I cannot wait for you to really start diving back into that writing. Yeah. Because it's, I didn't, I haven't read everything that you've had on there, but the stuff that I have. So I'm one of those people that when I read something first, I like scroll down to see how long this is before I'm getting into it. And I'm like, (laughs) so just even the last one that you did, that was, Mm -hmm. you said that it took you a month to really put it together. Yeah, I was looking at it and I was looking at it on my phone. So obviously like you scroll a lot more and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to get through. Okay. So I like started and then all of a sudden I'm at the next post and I thought it was like a subheading for like another part of it. Cause I was like, I just got through that whole and I wanted more like you are such. And when you said that what you're really hoping is that you're going to be giving the tools and the language, um, 
you know, to your daughters, Mm -hmm. I think you're going to be doing that because it's not only for your daughters, but for grown adults that should have their stuff together that we don't. One thing that you said um, that really hit home with me, uh, even though all like there was so much, but the one thing, and you're going to be like, really? Like you didn't know that. But (laughs) when you were saying that, like you had these you would describe what happened to you as a murky cloud over top Mm -hmm. of you. And it was a dark cloud and that that was actually depression. Now that you're saying that and you're saying it out loud, of course, that's what that was. I actually would say that all the time growing up in my twenties, even in my thirties that I'd be like, Oh no, I see like, I have a really bad memory. So like my memories are either, they're dark or they're light, just depending on who was in them. No, it wasn't. So when you said that, like I actually wrote it down, I started getting chills. I almost started crying, but then I was like, keep it together because you have a guest on the show. Um, I've almost cried. It's okay. (laughs) That was, it really hit me because when I was in my thirties, that's when I started having depression. And that's when I thought I had it because that's when it was like, it was like nervous breakdown, like that's not good. Yeah. And so I was like, where did that come from? Like all of a sudden I just had this. And now today, because you had this conversation with me, I realized, nope, that, that nervous breakdown that I had was not my first time in this. All those dark clouds that you had weren't just a way of like categorizing your life. That was, you were going through depressive episodes. So for me, thank you so much. You, that has like game changed a lot for me. And I'm really, I know I'm, I was going to say, I'm hoping, but I know that people that are listening to just this episode, even if you don't write anything else, just listening to this episode, you're going to change a lot, a lot of lives. Thank you. mm -hmm. That's, you know, it's so hard. And I I think you can probably recognize this, Michael, when you grow up feeling the low self-esteem, feeling worthless, um, trying to find something that gives you a sense of, of worth. Um, and so being able to hear you say that, it does, it makes me feel like the struggle that I've gone through, that there is a, uh, a meaning and a purpose behind it. Um, you know, after, even after we lost our son Josiah, so the first uh, son that we lost mid-pregnancy, um, lots of people would say, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. I am not a believer in that. I believe that sometimes things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, and, and here's the thing. My husband believes everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, my husband does not believe in talking about everything to make him feel, you know, the way that Justin and I have handled, uh, the grief and loss of our sons has been very different. Um, and it was a real struggle to try and support each other, but also respect the different ways in which we grieve so that it didn't feel like I was forcing my feelings upon him. And I didn't feel like he was abandoning me to be alone with my feelings. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's this, so I believe that there are some things that are fate. There are some times where you, you don't get the job, but you get a better job later mm-hmm. or you don't get the house that you want, but you find a house that actually works better for what you're needing and stuff. Those kinds of things. Yeah. Sometimes there is this, that worked out and that happened for a reason, but there is nothing 
anybody could ever say that would ever convince me that my sons died for a reason. Mm-hmm. It just isn't in me to, to do that. But do I believe that I can make something positive come from that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing with the struggles with depression, with self-worth, where I have felt like in talking about what I've been through, I, you know, it makes me feel good about myself to help others. I know that, you know, Justin talks about this sort of thing with, uh, you know, with AA, of being of service to others and how important that is <clears throat> in your own road to recovery. For me, sometimes it's the, you know, I'm, I'm trying to go on a road to recovery from, you know, abuse and, and different things like that. So same thing with talking about my boys and being able to reach out to other people who have experienced uh, pregnancy and, and child loss. In reaching out to those people, in helping those individuals, whether I know them really or not, um, it, it gives a sense of purpose for the loss of our boys. Mm-hmm. Well, as we come to close on the show i want to remind everybody that you can find danielle's blog being real with danielle.com and please email her being real with danielle at gmail.com that's two l's danielle okay and i have two final thoughts i want to get from you as we close the first one is with uh, police brutality george floyd Mm -hmm. racism Mm -hmm. that whole thing I was wanted, we've been talking about that on this show a lot. Uh, Leanne's yeah. been learning a lot. Uh, I'm still learning stuff from other people. Uh, not necessarily even as a parent, because we kind of covered that, but just as a, sorry, you're a white person. I'm going to throw that label on you. As a whitey, how do you <laughs> see yourself in the situation? You are a female, so you can relate mm-hmm. to oppression quite easily in that, mm-hmm. in that sense. I just want to get your kind of vibe on the, the whole current situation and how you fit in. Uh, you know, it's interesting for me. So you'd never know it looking at me. Um, I am mostly Filipino. Uh, Filipino, look at that. Already screwed up. (laughs) Hispanic. No, but you'd never know it because my mom, you know, the Italian and the Irish is what came out. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, that is, that is my, that is my background. That is my family, but that in no way has impacted how I am treated in society. Um, how, uh, you know, I get pulled over by a police officer, I think, gosh, this is going to cost me Mm. or, you know, oh, this is going to take so long. Mm. You know, I I think those kinds of things, I don't have any other concerns. Um, So Uh, for me, um, you know, it's really difficult. I have a lot of thoughts regarding all of it. Um, Thoughts in terms of how a lot of people perceive what's going on. Um, and what I think they should, you know, how they should perceive it. Um, but for me, I have tried really hard to not inject too much of that in. I may push back against people and what they're saying. Um, but for the most part, really what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to find words, articles, um, videos, anything like that that I can from people of color and sharing that amplifying their voices. Mm-hmm. I may have ideas on what, you know, police brutality looks like or what police reform looks like, but I don't think it should be coming from me. So I'm trying as much as I can to um, to do that, to, to share 
um, other people's words. Um, and then we're doing the, you know, like I said, my daughter's nine. Uh, we sat down and we watched Selma with her, um, which is a, you know, there are parts, it's a well done movie. It's a fantastic movie. And um, it certainly is not very graphic, um, but there are still definitely parts that are brutal to watch. Um, but I wanted her to watch it anyways, because I want her to have a good understanding. There are children who are black who have to know about those kinds of things from a very early age. Right. Why should I not allow my daughter to also know about right. what's out there? You know, I tried to tell a friend that I have seen so many videos that are horrifying to me from just the video of what happened to from the video of George Floyd's murder mm -hmm. to other things that have happened. And, you know, I, uh, it's hard for me being somebody who, you know, struggles with anxiety and depression to not uh, be mentally impacted by all that, right. um, to how heartbreaking it is, how horrifying it is. Um, but for me, I feel that it is part of my duty to watch those things anyways. And to be, you know, horrified and uncomfortable um, and and heartbroken over it, anyways. The the very least I can do, and I'm certainly doing more, is to bear witness to those kinds of things. Because what does it say if I turn a blind eye to it? Mm -hmm. That that's I feel the same way, um, Leanne. I do you feel any different than that? I'm sure you feel. No, I feel, the I feel the exact same way, but I like the point that you made about how many parents of, uh, you know, black and, and people of color children, they don't have the privilege, I guess. They don't have the privilege yeah. of, of keeping their children from that. That's a, Hey baby, when you go out, you need to know and so yeah. I think that's beautiful that you're, you're doing that with your children, even though it's difficult. And as a mom, all you want to do is protect them and not have to show them. But then that's what happens. You shelter them from this, then you're making them think that nothing, there, there is no racism and nothing is. And so now when they get in and be, are able to have a voice, their voice is tainted by what you kept from them. So I yeah. think kudos to you, like you and Justin are... If I ever wanted to have children, like I would want you to be our complete mentor because you guys are just <laughs> amazing. Yeah. I think too many people uh, confuse sheltering your children with protecting your children. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Amen. You know, you wouldn't, I'm sorry, the world is difficult. The world is in many ways a battlefield, mm -hmm. you know, some areas worse than others. So do you want to send your child out into battle? being wide-eyed and and naive to yeah. everything or do you want to send them out into battle with the tools and things that they need to navigate through and protect themselves mm -hmm. and so i i would rather do that than you know send them out unprepared yeah yeah i, I think we all agree we're trying to just do our part we have a duty to make sure we're keeping aware and sharing the voices that aren't getting enough attention and that's all we can do really i mean there's more things we can do, but we're at least all trying. And I applaud everybody for just trying. Just keep trying. That's it. I don't stand in judgment of anyone. I mean, I'm no better than any human being. I'm just a simple man trying to do his best. 
and I believe in equality and all that stuff. And I think that should go without saying, but the truth is it doesn't. So it no. needs to be said mm -hmm. frequently. Mm -hmm. The last thing, as we close the show, this is called the first day of the rest of our lives. So and the reason me and Leanne called it that is because we're always coming up with schemes to, you know, get on a diet <laughs> or improve our nutrition or, you know, Hey, tomorrow's going to be the day where we st start working out more or whatever it is. You know, tomorrow's mm -hmm. the day I start writing more on my blog. You know, that's mm -hmm. another thing. So mm -hmm. in that spirit, we're always, I'm sure you can relate to failed schemes, plans, opportunities. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about how do you bounce back from not meeting an intended goal? If, whether it's a small personal goal or as a parent or just as a woman to, these are little things that we all try to do to make ourselves better people. And I certainly believe you're one of those people that is always trying to get better. How do you bounce back when it doesn't work out? You know, the important first thing for me that I've learned is to not berate myself over it. Um, I've learned to, <clears throat> you know, we're so terrible to ourselves. We, you know, there's always the joke about, oh, I'm my own worst critic and yep. stuff. And it's, I, I'm not my own worst critic. I am my own worst heckler. There are times that I am just a brutal heckler of myself. And so, you know, learning to be kinder, be more understanding. Um, you know, I, I can remember telling Justin um, after my maternity leave, um, after we had lost Lincoln, um, I was going back to work and I said, oh, I hate this. I'm going back to work already. I feel like I didn't get anything done around the house. Like I didn't get anything cleaned or organized or do anything. And he goes, you were grieving. Right. Like what kind of expectations do you have of yourself? Right. You were busy and not only grieving, but you were still taking care of the child that you have at home right. and helping her to grieve. Right. I was like, Oh, but that stuff, but no, I mean the things, the actual thing. So, you know, I, I need to be gentler with myself and then, you know, all right. So put it back on the list mm -hmm. just because I, you know, didn't get it that time. It, you know, doesn't mean I won't get it again this next mm -hmm. time. So just keep trying, you know, um, what do they say? There's so many scientists where, you know, they had lots of failed attempts mm -hmm. and then they finally had the, the one that worked. Mm -hmm. So I just have to not give up. If I'm not going to give up on myself, I can't give up on, you know, little goals that I have, like writing in a blog that's <laughs> two years old. <laughs> yeah, we can't wait. You've got people waiting anxiously for your next post. <laughs> Good. I'll start dusting off everything. Great. Absolutely. Don't forget <laughs> that's beingrealwithdanielle.com, beingrealwithdanielle at gmail.com. Danielle, it has been this has Amazing. been so much fun. I could do this for three hours, but I know you mm -hmm. have a family and you have a baby that you need to attend to yes. eventually here. So we're gonna close <laughs> yes. the show. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I, I, you're everything that I thought you would be, you know, mm -hmm. in person now because we've only had kind of the Twitter avatar personas. And but yes. everything that you are is what you are in that little avatar. So I'm really grateful yeah. we got to do this. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys. This is really, this is very cool for me. I'm so glad that I did this. So thank you for inviting me. We're so grateful that you were, you did it. And uh, just FYI, this is not going to be going out um, right away. So if you want to just hang out in there and have some you time, Justin won't know if you're still talking to us. <laughs> 
he already about 20 minutes ago uh, came over and pressed his bare butt to the window <laughs> oh. on the door. So okay. I'm going to guess that the baby is awake <laughs> and he's a little anxious. All right. <laughs> this was awesome. Thank you so much, Danielle. You're okay, welcome. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll and have I'll you on again. A... We'll do this again okay. if you have come back. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Justin, of course, he thinks that I'm in here just bashing him. And he said, well, just wait till I get to do my rebuttal episode. So for me, so sad to learn that it wasn't about him at all. Yeah, well, uh, I made a point of like, sorry, this is Danielle's time. We don't care about Justin in here. <laughs> Kick rocks. He has enough stuff that he does. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget, uh, don't forget, you can find us on First Day Pod, Instagram, and Twitter, and First Day Pod at ProtonMail.com. Send us an email. Did you like having uh, Danielle on, let us know how you think. And then you can, of course, email her. Oh my God, I spaced out. <laughs> Being with Danielle. Being real. Being, Being real, real with Danielle. Jeez. There it is. Being at real with Danielle. Being real with Danielle at gmail.com. Please send her an email and check out her blog. All right, that's it. We're out of here. Awesome. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Anytime. <laughs>